Welcome to Season 2 of Ingenious You, the podcast where we talk about higher education, innovative practice, and leading-edge thinking. Your host is Melissa Morris Olson. The challenges facing colleges and universities short-term and in the years to come are immense, and yet many institutions are adapting in surprising and inspiring ways. In each episode of Ingenious U, we will talk with higher education thought leaders about the academic transformation that is underway. Our guests will include college and university leaders, faculty, innovators, futurists, and others who are thinking about and experimenting with new approaches. Be sure to hit subscribe to Ingenious U wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, you can rate and review this podcast and share with your colleagues and friends so they can join the conversation too. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Ingenious You. I am Melissa Morris Olson, and I am your host. For Ingenious You. If you are anything like me, the last 20 months have left me with all kinds of questions and wonderings about the future of higher education. During our season two conversations, we had an opportunity to speak with college and university presidents and other thought leaders from a variety of institutions and from across the world, and we asked each one to share their thoughts about the future. Their responses were both wise and telling. There were several common themes in regard to the kinds of things that are looming large for their institutions. We've pulled together some of the most compelling clips from these interviews, and I'm very pleased to present them here as a special summer episode of Ingenious You. I think about the future of higher education. I think about the value proposition. I think about the careers that our students uh, will be leaning into. And I think that the blueprint for higher education is really the blueprint, blueprint, excuse me, for America. You know, there are some institutions, Melissa, that long to go back to what we, you know, refer to as the quad. Uh, That's not necessarily what students want. They're looking for flexibility. They wanna take courses, they wanna take degree programs that fit best with their schedules and their responsibilities. And one of the things that has really emerged from this pandemic is most college students, and by that I mean students that are going to college have many more responsibilities than just coming to class. And so flexibility is going to be the number one focus. The second focus, is going to be developing those skills, those foundational skills that students really need to be successful. And this is is something we've excelled at all along. Critical thinking, leadership, communications, in addition to the content skills. But not all professions need a degree. Some professions need a credential, a micro-credential, a certificate. And so what we need to be thinking about and what we are thinking about is how can we offer either supplemental, incremental, or embedded certificates so that when our graduates leave BayPath, not only do they have the degree, but they have these embedded certificates, uh, which we know add value. 
Gallup poll recently did a survey. And what they found was that liberal arts graduates with a certificate in a more uh, technical area like web design began their careers at higher levels and with higher salaries. So it's really important to us that we position our students in the best possible way. So I would say that was the second thing. So the first is flexibility. The second is a focus on those foundational skills. The third is we must provide our students for careers and we must prepare them for their careers. So we must help our students be very intentional with the courses that they take so that when they emerge, they are well prepared to tackle uh, whatever career they're planning for. Uh, the fourth thing is we must continue to be student-centric. Everybody must move to student centricity. It must be at the core of everything we do. Every time we introduce a program, every time we think about the student experience, uh, every time we think about how to register a student, how do we provide a, a great career innovation center for students? It must be with that core question in mind, what is best for students? I can't help but think about the cost of higher education when I think about higher education. You know, as we know, the cost has gone up exponentially over the last 10 or 15 years. And so we have must think about that business model. Uh, are we delivering the greatest value at the right price? And so re-examining that again with a lens of how do we deliver a very high quality, the highest quality education uh, at a price that our students uh, can afford is going to be extremely important. I think about data and technology. You know, how can we best use technology, again, to, not for technology's sake, because that's not the end goal. The end goal is learning for our students. So that is going to be very important, continuing to embrace technology, continuing to enhance the student experience, with appropriate technology so that their student experience is even better. And then finally, we're very focused here on diversity, equity, and inclusion, as we mentioned earlier. We must continue to embrace all voices and to make sure that everyone in the higher ed community and the Bay Path community feels included in the conversation. And so we're being very deliberate, uh, both at the board level, as well as the faculty, staff, and student level to say, do we have the right uh, construct? Do we have the right structures so that we are really inviting people uh, into the conversation and then listening? So it's an exciting time in higher education. Uh, as you said, we've got some challenges all across education, but we feel strongly that working together, working with faculty, staff, board, and most importantly, students, that we will solve the problems at hand. In terms of broader, uh, just I'll mention one broad theme that I think has been there for a long time, but remain, remains to be the case, and that is the whole challenge of affordability and access in the U.S. context. Uh, the whole, uh, the, the wealth gap, the, the, the income gap, uh, the income disparity that's developed in our society, 
I think is a, is, is a, is a huge challenge. Um, and I think I, I, I liken it to, you know, cooking the frog slowly on a pot of, uh, on, on the boiling pot so that you just turn up the heat gradually. The frog doesn't know that it's being boiled. I think that's what's happened in American higher education around tuition. If you increase above the rate of inflation by 2%, it doesn't sound all that alarming. But if you do that for 30 consecutive years, you get, you, you get to where we are now in American higher education with tuition at utterly unsustainable levels. Um, and, and, and that has also fed into the problem of people getting access uh, to the American education system. So I think all of that need continues to be a huge issue. One of the things I'm really concerned with is that the public policy needs to be developed around this that's intelligent and nuanced. I, I submitted an op-ed to the New York Times when Bernie Sanders came out with his free public university initiative. And I, my op-ed argued that that's not a good idea for the US based on my experience in Greece, which has free public university, but a, a catastrophic public university system. Fortunate for me, the New York Times didn't publish the op-ed. Uh, but um, but I, am, I, 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 I think that the financing of higher education needs to be rethought. I'm in favor of a lot of innovation in that space. My concern is that the public policy is going to be too blunt an instrument and that what we want is something that will take advantage of both the private and the public sectors of American higher education, play to the strengths of the diversity of that system um, in a way that really capitalizes on, on, on what I, I think is the finest system in the world, but really needs to be re-engineered at this point in some fundamental ways, especially around affordability and access. Let me grab my crystal ball, um, just a minute. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I think, you know, what I'm going to say is nothing earth shattering. Um, uh, I, I do think that we have, um, we need to be very concerned about equity, about higher ed becoming an even stronger vehicle for socioeconomic mobility um, in the region where we are and in the and in higher ed specifically. I think what we are seeing right now with the um, marginalization of poor white and very much rural communities, but the poor whites, what we're seeing with the poor people of color, what we're seeing with income inequality, um, are social issues that need to be addressed using a multi-pronged approach. So unless higher ed um, becomes a partner in helping address these issues, and unless our policymakers are also engaged in prioritizing this as an issue, it's going to be um, a problem. We need to depoliticize higher education so that we don't have Republicans who think it's all um, horse manure, right? And we need to, and, and Democrats who are having an elitist approach generally, or at least criticized for doing so. Um, so I think we need to understand that the future of work in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution is one where every person virtually needs a post-secondary credential. And people who don't have that are left behind, even if they are able to find opportunities after high school, um, in the long run, they will find that there are limitations to their careers. Um, 
I think in the theme of resiliency, we need to continue to build our financial, IT, human, and institutional um, resiliency. This is going to be a difficult decade for higher ed for most of the country, um, save for the Southwest and the West. Um, but we've already seen that um, changes in uh, uh, changes in policy, changes in immigration policy can affect that pretty significantly. Um, the Northeast is going to be most adversely impacted. So thinking differently around how do we organize ourselves, what kind of partnerships that do we want? We are going to see more mergers and um, uh, acquisitions and, 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 and other um, arrangements um, multiple permutations of those things. And I think as leaders, we have a responsibility to think, okay, all right, what kinds of premier partnerships might benefit our communities and our students and our businesses um, because higher education, a post-secondary secondary credential is really critical. Um, I think we also need to keep a watchful eye on how um, employers are adapting and how jobs are changing. Um, the, the future of higher ed is not one in which you get your degree and you're done. I think we need to be prepared, and I'll end on this note, um, to support, educate, re-educate um, learners who already have bachelor's degrees, master's degrees already in the market and need to um, come back and acquire additional um, credential to continue to be relevant and competitive in the workforce. So focusing on adult learners, as I I know that you have done, Melissa, um, and uh, Baypath has such a wonderful reputation in doing that, um, we need to focus more on that. So looking at a future that is human, um, how do we empower our humans to be successful and to be able to contribute to our democracy, to the economic well-being and the intellectual vitality of our regions and our country. Well, um, I think we have to be very, and this might be something nobody else has said, I think we have to be very conscious of language. Um, for instance, I, I hear many of my colleagues talking about um, how they can't wait to get back to normal. Mm. I think we should get rid of the term back. <laughs> there is no going back. You know, I think higher ed needs to move forward. Um, having learned an enormous amount about technology and online teaching and learning and, and um, focus on what that new new um, modality or modalities will look like academically. Um, I also think we have to um, expunge the term um, or the dichotomy haves and have nots. You know, I, I, you know, because we do a lot of equity work, um, I spend quite a bit of time challenging. Um, people in conversations when they talk about first generation to college students from a deficit perspective. Mm. I think, you know, those of us who work with first generation, uh, largely students of color, need to um, approach this work from uh, a point of strength. You know, we need to recognize our students as assets that enrich the learning environment and will enrich society. And, um, and we, we have to recognize um, 
you know, the opportunity and the privilege we have educating um, this demographic of students rather than wasting time um, yearning for the, the wealthy privileged um, student of the past. I mean, I think we have to fight against the dichotomies in higher education, but, but I don't, I don't um, think we should approach those dichotomies viewing one as, as less than the other, but rather focus on the opportunity we have um, for educating what will be the majority of students in the future. So, um, and then I would say in a, in a, in a larger sense, um, you know, higher ed it will be in a, in a transformative mode. And, and I think people stepping into leadership um, are going to have to approach it with flexibility and resilience um, and, and a degree of um, risk but also, but calculated risk, um, and and an understanding of um, data analytics is just essential now, in in a way that it wasn't when I was initially a president. I mean, I think I think we know so much about our students, about learning, about um, you know financial ratios and the like, not my favorite, but <laughs> that um, it will be very important for leaders of the future to be analytically sophisticated, not as a substitute for, uh, for the interpersonal piece of leadership, which I always think uh, remains the most important, you know, the authenticity of the person, the ability to communicate, the ability to care for people, but but I think you, you have to be strategically and analytically savvy um, looking forward um, in a way that perhaps was less, um, was less of a dramatic need um, in, in the past. Or maybe I just didn't notice it <laughs> in the way I notice it now. <laughs> These are difficult days for higher education. Even before the pandemic, higher education was in a freefall. Colleges are closing or merging at an ever-increasing rate. Leaders are facing challenges from every direction. No wonder so many experts are calling for a new kind of leadership. The Baypath University Doctorate in Higher Education Leadership and Organizational Studies, affectionately known as HELOS, was created for just this time and purpose. We asked seasoned leaders for their input, and then we designed the courses in response. The HELOS program prepares students to become highly effective, self-aware, adaptive leaders who know exactly how to leverage their institution's strengths and potential to create lasting change and enduring success. All coursework is online. Students receive an abundance of personalized support, both from their peers and from our expert faculty. We are now accepting applications for our October start. If you want to become a catalyst for change in higher education and have an impact, take the next step. Visit our website at baypath.edu edd. That's baypath.edu edd. Thank you.
so I don't think you can put the genie back in the bottle, right? Um, by the time everything goes back to quote unquote normal, people will be have been disavowed of this idea that you cannot deliver quality instruction virtually. So I think people are going to have to come to grips with that, right? That you can do more with less, that you can be more efficient, that you can actually structure an educational experience to the needs of your students, not to your own traditional way of doing things. So I think people are going to have to come to grips with that. Um, and I think they should. I think, you know, I've said this before, higher education has to be less in love with their traditions and more in love with their students. So hopefully what's up next is a high version of higher ed where they actually love their students. Yeah, one of the things that, that uh, I will say about, about this country is we have the best higher education system in the world. I mean, your, your mother could clean toilets and you can go to Harvard. You know, I just think that that, where does that happen, Melissa? Where does that happen? I mean, it's just, if you're smart, you can get there. Now, we can argue that not everybody can get there for various reasons. And that's and I would agree with that to some point. But on the face of it, I think it's a, a, it, based on merit, although there's been discussions of parents who've bought their way into other schools, putting all that aside, for the most part, it is uh, a meritocracy. Now, one of the things that I, I have seen is that over time is that the key to a great democracy is a middle class. And you and I have to protect the middle class. Without a middle class, the rich, just having rich and poor, I mean, it, it's just a recipe for a revolution. You have to have a middle class where people can have a good, a good uh, um, uh, a place in a country where they can feed their family, you know, have a nice house or, uh, you know, dress okay, uh, go to a movie, you know, go to the beach. Just a, a, a wonderful life as a middle class American. The only way you can protect that is by educating the poor because the rich will always educate their children, but the poor can't. So access to a college education has to be number one. And what's happening in this country is that we, what is happening in the community colleges, I have colleagues that I, that I have enormous respect at community colleges, but I think we have to really pay attention to what's going on in the community colleges. We dropped all the technical schools Remember that movie? We just dropped all the technical schools because we said, well, that's not, we're not going to do that anymore. And I'm not so sure we did a great thing for this country. There are a lot of people, my plumber probably makes more than some faculty members, uh, you know, and, and electricians. Those are professions that are really important for young people. And so we have to really think the, about the role of the community college and ask the question, why is it that the graduation rates are so low? Because they're the key to the middle class. And so I think in, in this country, my vision would be that we really fix this at the community college. People go, they graduate, and then they can do whatever, either they get a degree that they can do something with the two-year degree, or they get a technical background. They don't need a degree. They get a certificate. They can get a job. But right now, all of that is not as effective as it should be. I would say that if, if I say just counsel to leaders generally, there is no less demand for what colleges do. In fact, it's the opposite. While degree conferral has been flat for some time, the growth in micro-credentials and certificates and shorter-term learning has exploded. 
So uh, Credential Engine, which is part of Luminar, funded by Lumina, announced today there are just short of a million different credentials now in the market. So it's chaos. But it tells you something that there is a real demand signal out there. And everything we know about the recession and what people are saying, what Americans are saying, is they want skills, skills-based education. They want it in shorter term because they feel urgency. They're unemployed. They need to get back to work. And they need it to be more affordable. So a leader that's willing to sort of say, I'll tackle that fight, I'll, I'll fight that fight, at least now has a new focus and a sense of how they need to proceed. If you're a small school in New England that's doing traditional residential, um, it's almost sort of unethical to keep taking donor money at this point because they have fewer students, that pie shrinking. You gotta find where the demand signals are, right? You gotta be in the place where, where students need you. And then it's your willingness to rethink what you do in order to get the, remember, jobs to be done, the job that they need you to do. So, you know, do your research under, you know, come to a thesis about where the opportunity and the demand signals are, and then decide how much willingness you are to do the unbelievably hard work of reinventing your organization to meet that demand signal. Um, because, it, because our model is broken. I mean, deeply broken. And, you know, if we focus, we didn't really spend much time talking about equity, but if we just talk about equity, one of the things that the pandemic shown a very harsh light on is the degree to which inequities are baked into higher education in every way. And what we know right now is that FAFSA completions among seniors in high school, among low-income students, is dramatically down. So that group that's being left behind, it's going to get bigger next year. The number of low-income students and students of color coming into our campuses will be significantly reduced because of the pandemic. Um, that's a crisis mode because you can't you can't make that ground up very easily. Um, that you know, we know, for example, on the back end of what we do, that if we're producing graduates into job low-paying jobs, um, fifty percent of them will still be underemployed ten years later excuse me, five years later, 70% of that group will still be underemployed five years after that. So, so we're, it's incumbent upon us, almost ethically, I, I would frame it through the lens of ethics, to make sure that we are serving students that need us so desperately and that we are giving them degrees that genuinely unlock opportunity for them. Leaders have to take into account those big existential questions. What they are not going to do is be successful by simply trying to find more cuts in their budget or doing it the way they always have been doing it because that's already broken, that's gone, right? Unless you're talking about the elite institutions when they're, they're gonna be fine. If you're talking about the 50 flagship state universities, they're probably gonna generally speaking be fine, but everything else is on the table. And we, we need a dramatic change in high road. Yeah, this is such a good question, Melissa. Um, one, I think for Holland specifically, it's embracing our mission and our work as a university, which means supporting um, the teaching and learning of our 
college for women at the undergraduate level and our wonderful leadership focused graduate programs in a variety of areas. We are also working as an institution to imagine the brightest possible future for Hollands and then investing in and taking the steps to help us achieve that future. And honestly, I think those two pieces, the mission and imagination, really are critical for higher education in general. I think it's critical for all higher ed institutions to understand and then proclaim what their mission calls them to do and to be. And so for us, it's how do we proclaim our mission at the undergraduate level and at the graduate level? And how do we do so in ways that are inclusive of all students who might find themselves at Hollins and see themselves being successful? I think every institution has to explore their mission and embrace their mission and to do it in the most inclusive ways possible. As we imagine our Holland specific future that we will be investing in, I think all institutions have to imagine what can they accomplish? What is their brightest future? What do they look like at their best? And that's going to be different. And it can't be being all things for all people. Your mission has to then guide that vision and imagination. I think institutions will begin to focus more on more as being learning institutions. And again, I'm not talking about our academic programs. I'm talking about our institutions as learning institutions and that we all have to accelerate that learning. And I think that's particularly important when we think about inclusion, equity, and diversity. We have to get to a point where we recognize inclusion, equity, and diversity are for all of our students, not just underrepresented students, not just first gen or BIPOC students, but inclusion is for every student. And if we're going to really move that forward, we've got a lot of learning that we need to do. And then finally, and I think, I hope most institutions are doing this, we have to really rethink how institutions define and pursue success for students but I also think we have to rethink how institutions define and pursue success for themselves. So those are some of the things that I, I am thinking about and that I imagine other, others in higher ed may be thinking about as well. I hope it inspires an attitude of adaptability, a, a recognition that we face challenges. We face challenges right now in the context of COVID, even in the wrap up. Um, and we face demographic challenges. We face uh, societal challenges as we've had some tough conversations play out in America that, that call higher ed to think in new ways. Um, I hope it inspires a, a response that says we, we can adapt, we can be different, we can be better versions of ourselves. And once we have that recognition, then hopefully it frees us up to, to do the work that requires to get there. Um, you know, it's, it's difficult to look at where we are right now and not see, you know, just incredible change, the pace of changes high, the stakes around change seem uh, very high right now. Um, and that, that can be, is daunting in some way, but I think it is comforting to know that we don't have to be the same versions of ourselves that we were yesterday, that, that growth is possible. So it's a really important question. I think the first thing I would say is trauma. I think that we're going to have 
students, staff, faculty, and administrators returning to campus um, exhausted and angry and feeling all sorts of incredible uh, emotions, but also just traumatized after pandemic and the issues of racial injustice, the continued um, murder of, of Black men and women. And I, I just, I, people are going to come back um, with all of that. And so I think that leaders need to um, acknowledge the and, and really become better at understanding how to process trauma to be able to bring in the kind of expertise and staff to support and train individuals who can um, see this in their colleagues, in the students, and help them identify the, the resources they need. And so we all need to extend our skills to be able to better see this and identify it. It is something, um, the mental health, um, the rise in mental health issues has, has been significant. You can read it in study after study. And so we, we as a society and we as, you know, in playing our place in society are going to have to think about what that looks like. Um, I think the second thing is um, we need to be better in these next couple of years of celebrating and recognizing and acknowledging um, the efforts of um, faculty, staff, our student workers on campus, um, and similarly of administrators, so faculty and staff acknowledging just how difficult some of the decisions have been that administrators had to make. Um, so we need to come together and think about how do we as communities do a better job of caring for each other in those ways by you know, celebrating some of the good things that do happen, acknowledging the pain and, and recognizing you know, the important small wins that we will have moving forward um, as just a way to kind of, you know, particularly to, to have something positive and to have some hope and to bring more of that to our, our spaces. And um, uh, my, my colleague and I, Susan Elrod, wrote this article for Change Magazine about a year ago on the, that we are not a naturally, uh, as organizations go, we, we have this kind of academic culture, which sort of uh, doesn't always lead us open to um, the kind of celebration of other people and, and recognition in, in, an, in a very unusual way. You're just expected to sort of like have this excellence versus um, to really call people out and recognize them and, and acknowledge them. So I'm hoping that that is something that we really take on and build into our culture. We're going to really need it in the next five years ahead. Thanks so much for joining us for this special summer episode of Ingenious You. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and do share with your friends and your colleagues so that they too can join our community. 
While we are on a short break, we will be replaying some of our most listened to episodes from the past two seasons, as well as preparing for season three. If you have recommendations for individuals that you would like to hear from in season three, please do let us know. Send us your recommendations for interview guests and also for topics that you would like to hear covered during this upcoming season. We will do our best to accommodate your recommendations. For now, be sure to check out the Leading Edge Thinking in Higher Education webinar series on the Bay Path website, which is ongoing. We have some terrific presenters coming up for these monthly free events. That's all for now. We're so grateful for your presence within our community. Stay healthy and be well.